1: If there's one thing you can be sure about the faithfulness of God, it is this. God's faithfulness is not peripheral or occasional. God's faithfulness is not sporadic or whimsical. God's faithfulness is not only exercised when He feels like it. God's faithfulness is not even dependent on our faithfulness. That's the kind of God we worship, but rather God's faithfulness is His very being. Welcome
0: to Leading the Way with pastor and renowned cultural anthropologist, Dr. Michael Yusuf. Today, a deep dive into Galatians chapter 5. You'll probably recognize familiar words. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and faithfulness. Well, experiencing and displaying faithfulness is up next on this edition of Leading the Way. Join me now listening as Dr. Yusuf unpacks the truth surrounding faithfulness.
1: There was a statement that is being attributed to George MacDonald, and it goes something like this. Being trusted is greater compliment than being loved. Now, I want you to just take a moment and digest this. It took me a long time to really kind of focus on it. Being trusted is greater compliment than being loved. I must confess to you, when I read this statement first, it startled me. And I began to really think very hard about it. And when I did, I found myself to be in absolute agreement with it. I don't need to tell you how trustworthiness has become an endangered species. <laughs> there was a time when a man's word was his bond. I know, there was a time when trustworthiness was more important than fame or wealth or popularity, there was a time, there was a time where a promise is a promise is a promise. Faithfulness is such an old-fashioned word that it somehow has been taken out of circulation from our language. Faithfulness is, is a word that, that somehow is fading away from the lexicons. And as I look around, I see that the only commitment that seems to be on the increase is a commitment to political expedience. The only commitment that seems to be on the increase is a commitment to personal gain, to personal glory, to making yourself look good. Commitment to personal gratification. Sometimes I wonder, even if our younger generation will know what that word means. Yet faithfulness... Is the heart of our human existence. Faithfulness is the lifeblood of all relationships. Faithfulness keeps a family or a society from disintegrating. Faithfulness, it's a powerful word, it's an important word, and it is not surprising, therefore, that the Apostle Paul includes faithfulness in the list of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. As I looked up the Greek word, and I did some study, I found out that in the Greek language, the word, there's one word that is translated faith or faithfulness. And some of your translations have it faith, and other translations have it faithfulness. That's one word in the Greek, and you can translate it either way. And there is a good reason for this. And the reason is this, faithfulness stems from faith or trust. I have faith that when you make me a promise, you will keep it. Why? Because you are faithful, of full of faith. I have faith that when you make a commitment, you will honor it. Why? Because you are faithful. When you make a promise, you're going to keep it. I have faith that you mean what you say, and you say what you mean. Why? Because you are faithful, full of faith. In fact, I heard about the small town preacher who called his deacon on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And he said, look, I'm not feeling well today. You preach. And, you know, the deacon really was thrown into a frizzle there and uh, he went went ahead and preached. But then he confronted the preacher on Wednesday. He said, now, preacher, is it true that you are at the ball game Sunday? And the preacher said, it is an absolute lie and I have the fish to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) Many people today... Remind me of this young man who poured his heart of devotion out in a letter to the woman of his dreams. And here's what he said to her. He said, darling, I would climb the highest mountain, swim the widest stream, cross the burning desert, die at the stake for you. P.S. I'll see you Saturday if it doesn't rain. (laughs) Temporary faithfulness. Conditional faithfulness. But you see, faithfulness is closely tied in to the truth. Just as unfaithfulness is closely tied in to lying. They go together. And that is why truth and faithfulness identify with God himself. And therefore, hear me right please, any society or any home where God is rejected, the truth and faithfulness are diminished and they are replaced with unfaithfulness and with expedience and with lies. When God is marginalized, truth and faithfulness are marginalized and they are replaced with unfaithfulness. They are replaced with lying. When God is defined as anything and anyone, truth and faithfulness become open to definition too. It is not surprising what we're seeing in the courts today where people are actually torturing the English language and they're trying to tell us it depends on what is, is. And further, it is, was not surprised surprise to me to see the Eastern establishment and the Hollywood elite to be outraged at the fact that the courts still treat lying and perjury as wrong. I got news for them. God does. <laughs> if there's one thing about, that you must know about the faithfulness of God, if there's one thing you can be sure about the faithfulness of God, it is this. Listen to me, please. God's faithfulness is not peripheral or occasional. God's faithfulness is not sporadic or whimsical. God's faithfulness is not only exercised when he feels like it. God's faithfulness is not even dependent on our faithfulness. That's the kind of God we worship. And as I told you in the last message, when you hang out with this God, you're going to be like Him. But rather, God's faithfulness is His very being. God's faithfulness is a combination of His power and His love. God's faithfulness cannot be hindered. It cannot be stopped. God's faithfulness cannot be contradicted or reversed. That's the kind of God we worship. God's faithfulness goes with God. It goes with God. When he is rejected, ignored, or marginalized, his faithfulness goes with him. And consequently, faithfulness to each other and to God goes with him too. The Scripture gives us an example of a nation who rejected God, ignored God, and marginalized God, despite of warning after warning, year after year. And finally, God withdrew. God withdrew. The prophet Amos cries out in lament. In chapter 8, verse 11, he said, Behold, the days are coming, said the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not famine for bread and not thirst for water, but for hearing of the word of God. And then he continues, And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the words of the Lord, but they shall not find it. And you know, this searching, this searing, this burning, this feverish hunger for the Word of God developed in Israel after they forsook God, after they kept ignoring Him. And for 400 years, God was silent. God was silent only to break his throbbing isolation with the voice that was crying in the wilderness, declaring the coming of the Messiah who replaced Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when God called Abraham back in Genesis 12, He did not call him out of the beauty of his blue eyes. He called them for a purpose. He said, Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, I want somebody to tell the world about me. I want somebody to tell the pagans about me. And he chose him and his descendants for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to carry the commission of making Yahweh known. But instead, what did they do? They began to worry about their own leads. They began to worry about their own circumstances. And they hoarded God. Not only that they wouldn't share him, they wouldn't even worship him. And God said, okay, enough is enough. Then, through the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave that commission, took it out of Israel, and he gave it to Jesus. And Jesus gave it to the church, which is the new Israel of God, according to Galatians chapter 6, and says, you do it. Listen to me. This is the rest of the story. Because throughout history, when the church blew it, God took it away from them. God is not respect of persons, you see. God is not respect of persons. He said, but this doesn't happen in the New Testament. Oh, yes, Revelation chapter 3. I'll take you back to the first century where there was a church just like the American church. I want to tell you something as I study the scripture, probably there is no church like the American church, like the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. So much like the American church, like the church across this land. A church that has replaced the mourner's bench for a psychiatrist's couch. A church where preachers were preaching sermons that making people feel good instead of being good. A church that was outwardly successful. A church that once was a power voice in society. A church that was most prosperous among all the churches of Asia Minor. And yet, they were unfaithful. They were unfaithful. The Laodicean church was established by Epaphras. Let me tell you a thing or two about Laodicea, the city. Laodicea had a vibrant economy. Laodicea's GNP, Growth National Product, was off the chart. They had no inflation. The stock market was at all times high. The shining black wool and linen export broke all records. Their pharmaceutical industry was booming, especially an eye salve factory that was exporting all over the world. That's why God calls them blind, you see. They're the experts on eye salves. They produce it and send it to the world, but they were blind, they thought they were rich, but they were not. The medical school, there trained the best doctors all over the world. Not only that, but Laodicea was the banking center of Asia Minor of the time. And yet, and yet, in the midst of such prosperity, the Christians grew unfaithful. They developed something called spiritual pride. And it's making God sick. He said, you're neither cold nor hot. you look lukewarm. Have you ever drank lukewarm water? It makes you nauseous. You want to vomit. And that's what God is saying. He said, you're making me sick because you're neither hot nor cold. And yet in the midst of this time, look at verse 20 of Revelation 3. God extends to them an invitation to return back and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. You know, often you hear this passage is quoted for evangelistic endeavors that God is saying to the sinner, I want to come into your life. No, 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 no. God is talking to the believers here in Laodicea. He's talking to the Christians. He's talking to the members of the church. Here's what he's saying to them. He's speaking to those who have ceased to be faithful. He is talking to these Christians who got so busy with their prosperity that they had stopped going to prayer meetings. He is talking to Christians who got so comfortable in their lifestyle that they became sporadic in their worship. He is talking to Christians who became so entangled with God's blessings that they have forgotten the blesser. He's talking to Christians who were so preoccupied with their own reputation that they refrained from sharing Christ with others. That's who he's talking about. He's talking to Christians who are so caught up in the political process that they marginalize the truth and integrity. He's talking to Christians who were so busy in church politics that they have left out of their lives and out in the cold the very Lord who died for the church. That's what he's talking to and the Laodicean church was indifferent to the invitation of Jesus and before long it became a shadow of its former glory today it's an Islamic city in Turkey that's where it is you say well you know that just doesn't happen now oh yeah go to England go to Scotland look at the cathedrals and the edifices that has no more than a dozen people worshipping there on Sunday morning Go to Germany, go to Holland, go to the land of the Reformation where the church once was thriving. Look at the churches and see what happened. Let me tell you something. God moves on. He does not strive with us forever. (sighs) Well, before I get carried away, let me tell you two things about faithfulness before I close. Two things. The first thing I want to tell you about faithfulness is this. Faithfulness in little things Faithfulness in small things define our character. Faithfulness in small things define our character. If I ask husbands and wives and I say, are you faithful? I think most people will say yes. Because most people think faithfulness has to do with sexual fidelity. But listen to me. Faithfulness is much deeper than that. Faithfulness in marriage, it means that you build each other up, not tear each other down. Faithfulness in marriage means encouraging one another, not constantly criticizing one another. Faithfulness means more than just fidelity. Faithfulness means that you are making decisions with the other partner's best interest at heart. Faithfulness is much deeper than that. It means making decisions that it may be even deserving you, but serving Your spouse. And on and on and on I could go. Faithfulness in little things means faithfulness in big things. Faithfulness in little things define our character. Listen to what Jesus said. Whoever is faithful with very little is faithful also in much. Faithfulness at work means this. Means that you are faithful whether your boss is watching you or not. Faithfulness at work means that you are faithful whether you are appreciated or not. Faithfulness at work means that you are faithful whether you are appropriately rewarded or not. And the reason for that is because first and foremost, you work for one boss and his name is Jesus. You know, it was Robert Frost who said, That by working faithfully eight hours a day, you may eventually be a boss and work for 13 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) And I often say that the people who have the most demanding bosses are those who are (laughs) self-employed. Faithfulness in small things define our character. The second thing I want to tell you about faithfulness is this. Don't let the lack of immediate rewards for your faithfulness cloud your vision. Don't let the lack of immediate rewards for your faithfulness cloud your vision. You see, I know in the 90s we're so used to these IPOs and these companies that are doubling in value overnight. And we want that all the time and that's how we think. And that's why I shudder personally, having a longer view of history, what will happen with a society that begins to think that way. They lose vision of the future. They lose vision of the big picture. But in the work of God and serving God and serving for a believer in any place that God places you, you must think of the long vision. You must think of the big picture and have that in mind. Don't have short-sightedness when it comes to faithfulness. Steve Ferrer ends up his book finishing strong with a hypothetical scene. Here's what he said. He said, imagine that you are a traveler back in time, first century Jerusalem, in the days of the early church. And as you walk in a busy street there near the temple, you interview several passers-by, just individuals that you pick at random, and and, and you ask them, each of them, a typical Israelite of that day, and ask them two simple questions. Number one, who of your generation will people likely remember 2,000 years from now? Being part of the Roman Empire, the average answer most likely would have been Caesar, Nero, Then you ask a follow-up question. Uh, But what about those people known as Christians? Do you expect that some of them will be remembered, even their leaders? And he would snide, and he would say, Them? You've got to be kidding. They're a bunch of nobodies. They don't have any influence at all. They will hardly be remembered a month from now, let alone 2,000 years from now. And you probe a little further. Do you mean to tell me you've never heard of Peter or Paul? Have you not heard of Mary or Martha? And the average Jewish man on the streets of Jerusalem would interrupt you and he would say, These folks are insignificant. The only thing I know about them is that their leaders keep ending up in jail. Believe me, in 2,000 years, nobody will ever remember that they ever existed. And Farah concludes, here we are 2,000 years later. We name our children Paul, Peter, Mary, and Martha. And we name our dogs Caesar and Nero. (laughs) You see, you have to have the big picture. You have to have the long vision. (laughs) This immediate gratification, the curse that is cursing our culture, that's cursing our generation, has nothing to do with God. and has nothing to do with the faithfulness of God. Faithfulness goes on and on and on, whether you're up or that you're down. Because I want to remind you of a couple of things as I close, that the ultimate rewarder of your faithfulness is not really your boss. The ultimate rewarder of your faithfulness is the Lord God. The God who sees you when nobody does, the God who hears you when nobody can, the God who watches you when nobody else is around, He is the one who sees in secret, is going to reward you publicly and before the whole world to see.
0: Are you defined by faithfulness? Convicting words on Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf. Hey, did you know that Leading the Way has several podcasts to encourage you? When you're looking for something to add to your listening library, consider Leading the Way's Candid Conversations with Jonathan Youssef or the My Devotional Podcast. Learn more at ltw.org or do a quick search in your favourite podcast app. Well, on behalf of Dr Michael Youssef, you're invited back again next time for another edition of Leading the Way.